All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Precision Rifle channel. I know it's been a while since we've done one of these, and I was very fortunate enough to get my good friend Matt Medeiros, the Precision Hillbilly, on uh, the chat today. So everybody, welcome Matt. Matt, welcome to the show, brother. How are you doing? Hey, man, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So... For everybody who uh, has yet to know you and yet to be blessed by your presence, can uh, you fill us in on who you are, what you do, and you know what that life is about? Uh, absolutely. Uh, Matt Medeiros, people call me the Precision Hillbilly. I do not know why they call me the Precision Hillbilly, <laughs> but it got thrown out and it stuck, so we just kind of ran with it. Um, as far as work... I own a steel construction company. We do ironwork duties, um, a lot of contract welding. We do some pretty specialized welding. I was fortunate enough to get a certified welding inspector qualification 10, 12 years ago. So that's really opened up our ability to do things that the average person can't do. Um, yeah, it's been good. Nice. So... What we're here for today is to talk about Precision Rifle. How did you get into this uh, crazy wild sport of ours? <laughs> yeah, Precision Rifle. Uh, so it's going to date me. I think it was about 10 years ago, we were playing around on a website and they had a, had a particular section for uh, the Western Washington section that okay. uh, that's where everybody congregated prior to facebook and we talked there and matches would get thrown together there the very first match i remember was held in december in Ellensburg, washington um believe it or not a piece of public grand ground i looked at it but i was too scared to to get my feet wet so i just kind of stalked them on on the website and watched it and thought it was pretty cool then I went out on the next match, I believe it was February or March, and shot it, and I believe I won that one. So the first match out, shot really well. Um, fortunate enough to, to come out on top. That was back in the days when there would be four big matches a year, and there would be 15 to 30 guys getting together and shooting. Okay, then, so... Hold on. Let me stop you right there. You're telling me that the first precision rifle match that you ever shot, you took home the gold. I just got luckier than everybody else that day. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, and I'll, I'll never forget it. So prior to that, a good friend of mine, Kalen Wojcik, uh, I started working at a job where he was at. He was a supervisor, and he he he, he knew that I liked to shoot. And he told me if I taught him how to weld, he would teach me how to shoot. So we kind of traded skill sets. And at that particular match, uh, I took first and Kalen took second. So the student beat the teacher because you taught him how to weld. That's 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 the story I'm sticking with. <laughs> is he going to verify that story? He better. <laughs> that is awesome. I didn't know that. That's badass. Yeah. Yep, that's... Uh, not a lot of people know that uh, me and Kalen, we have a pretty big history. We go back 
like I said, quite a while. And he, uh, I actually, he, he has individually taught me the, the finer aspects of precision shooting. That's incredible. I, I had no idea. I mean, I knew you guys were friends, but I didn't know it dated back that long. Yeah. Yeah. It, it dated back. I bought my first, uh, precision rifle at Remington Mall 700P with the Leopold three and a half to 10 with the duplex reticle and some goofy, some goofy target turret from some other company. And I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue. Kalen shot, taught me how to use all of it though. And it all came to work. That is awesome. That that's an incredible story. So before you shot your first match, had you been practicing and training with Kalen for a while or was it something like, you know, Hey, let's go hang out for a couple of hours on a Saturday, go shoot and have a beer and, and then see what happens. No. So Kalen, Kalen taught me how to shoot, taught me all the fundamentals. I went through uh, a couple of his classes, okay. precision rifle one classes. And then, uh, you know, just BS with people on that website. We, we started to get to know one another, and we just set up like days like, hey, we're all going to meet up here. We'll go put up some steel, and let's just get together and shoot. Uh, there'd be five to ten of us getting together on a on a Saturday when everybody was free, and we'd shoot there. And then we'd go shoot a match. Uh, it, it was a lot different than it is today. Much more relaxed. No pressure. Right. Yep. Okay, so you had some formal training from Kalen before you went out and shot. So, okay, that, that makes a little bit more sense. I was like, you must be some kind of phenom, like some kind of prodigy shooter or something to go out and win your first match. Oh, no, that's false. That's <laughs> false. No expectations of your first match. No, no pressure, expectations. No that's the best part, right? Yep, absolutely. You're just going out to have a great time. So, from 10 years ago to today... The sport has obviously evolved quite a bit. What have you seen the biggest difference as far as how you shot your very first match to how you compete today? Oh, yeah. Tremendous transformation. Um, I would say primarily the biggest sh shift in the, in the style of shooting is the very first match I shot was 90 percent plus belly okay. so out of 20 stages you're on your belly shooting prone for 18 of those stages to today it's a lot more movement um, and it's very rarely we get to lay down and shoot a true prone style match yeah this is definitely true you're seeing a lot more barricades a lot more you know natural terrain being used as props there's actually very few belly matches that exist uh, in any of the series right now that I'm aware of. Man, it's, I, I went all over the country this year and last year, and if I had to say, if I had to call out one belly match, it would probably be Nebraska. Which one? There was two in Nebraska. Which one was it? Man, that was a painful match. I tried to block it out of my head. I can't wait to go back next year, but. Was it snowing got, or was it sunny? It was sunny. Okay, so that was um, the second Nebraska match that we had, and that was Lee Anderson's Prairie Rock shootout. That's what it was. Yep, yep. I would yep. say I would say the Prairie Rock probably had the the most prone to match I've shot in the last two years. 
Nice. That was a fun match, and we actually that was a great match. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. We got blessed with great weather. That's um, what they told us. Yeah, he told me that the previous two years they had to turn it basically into a one day match because the like either the first or second day or whatever got rained out or stormed out or whatever. So we got really lucky this year. I I, I that is the type of terrain that inclement weather could make it. Uh, interesting to say the least this is true this is true so one of the things that i've always been wondering and i've never asked and i don't know why i haven't but i figured i'd ask you today is the pacific northwest washington oregon that general area there seems to be a large group of really great shooters that come out of that area why why is that why is that? I would say, I would say, God dang, how? I would say because every match you go to is a national style match, number one, right? Okay. So every match we shoot out here, if it's a, a club match or a national match, there's, I mean, look at our club matches. If Jake, John, Nick, everybody shows up, there's, there can be eight to ten national level match winners at any given match. Right. I mean, if you if you can hold yeah, if you can hold your hold your own with those guys at a club level match, man, the only thing you're missing on a two day at a national match is putting together two days in a row. Um aside from that, when you look at, at all the different match venue locations we have out here, we truly cover every type of scenario you can see anywhere across the country we have short range square ranges which have uh, all barricade all positional tiny targets little wind we have uh the eastern side of the state where you have big open prairies with lots of wind so i mean yeah that's the only thing i can figure is our venues and our level of competition we have at any given match we go to you know, and, and that's a very good point because you do have a, a, a wide variety of terrain up there, but you still, I mean, you still have just a lot of what seems like raw talent up there. Uh, would you call it raw talent or would you call it a product of the environment? You know, I, natural, I go ahead. Natural progression is going to tell you that people are naturally going to get better when they're forced to. This is true. It's kind of like survival of the fittest, right? Uh, yeah, essentially. So if you grow up shooting in the Pacific Northwest and you plan on competing, it's basically, you know, you're either going to take this serious and you're going to just, you know, go out there and be a badass like you guys do, or don't even like just kind of be happy where you are in the middle type of thing. You, you hit the nail on the head. So... Three three years ago, I can't remember who it was, but somebody told me, they're like, Matt, I don't know who it was. It was Craig Dibble, a good friend of mine. He told me, he's like, Matt, if you really, if you tried, you'd probably do pretty good. And I was like, ah, oh, Craig, I don't know about that. Just a hillbilly, I like to go out and shoot with my friends. And uh, two years ago, I actually, I took his advice and I actually started practicing and, and working on things and stuff that I saw deficiencies in. 
And I mean, last year I, I put it together decently at enough matches where it looked like I did really good at the end of the year. You did. You shot great. Yeah. I mean, and that was just, I actually, I, I took it serious for once. I, okay. I, I would go out, I would practice, I would do low development. Um, I lined myself up with the right people um, to make sure that my gear never went down. At all, the entire year last year, I never once had a gear failure. And I think that speaks huge volumes. And in, in, in the series now, where if you have a bad stage, scope goes down, trigger goes down, you probably just lost 10 to 12 points, 10, 10 to 12 spots in any national match. Right. So you started getting serious about it and you started practicing. What was it that you started practicing? Man, just everything. You, you never know what you're going to get. Um, depending upon what the match director likes, um, what, what, type, what their venue will support, you never know what to expect until you've been there a couple years. So I worked on a lot of uh, barricades, uh, a lot of prone shooting at really small targets, really far away. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, people ask me what I practice all the time, and I tell them it's actually really simple. You have to be able to shoot small targets on your belly, right? First round impacts worth more than anything because right. now you know your wind call is perfect. And then um, high prone, work on a high prone to where, you know, that eight to ten inches off the ground and then get into a, a, a low kneeling. I don't like ever getting into a seated position because it takes a long time to get in and out of. So I will go from a high prone to a low kneel. Um, a standard kneel, a high kneel, and then standing. If you if you can master prone, kneeling, standing, no matter what the barricade is, all you're trying to do is get into a position that you know you how to make stable. No, that's true. I mean, there are base, you know, those basic positions that you just modify for yeah. that you know that barricade or whatever. Yep, that's it. Okay. That, that's interesting. So if you know, for instance, um, I'm going to assume the next match you're heading to is probably going to be Rock Lake for the NRL? Yes, sir, it is. Okay. So if you know you're going over to Doug's match where you have, you know, some, some open terrain and some man-made props and things of that nature, is there anything that you practice specifically going to his match? Or is it just keep practicing the same type of stuff that you're used to? So... Now that I've gotten to the point where um, I feel pretty confident regardless of where I go, I will spend a majority of my time prepping for the Rock Lake match, just shooting prone at really small targets, just making sure I isolate my wind call. Right? Because Rock Lake, you've been there. Yep. Uh, one <laughs> one stage might be a three-mile-an-hour wind. The next stage might be a 20-mile-an-hour wind. You just you never know. So uh, knowing Doug, I'm going to put more emphasis on making sure that I get my wind call dialed on the first shot. So when you go out and you're practicing for wind, is there any special technique that you use so that you can ensure that you're getting those first round impacts when you actually go to competition? To ensure. To ensure, I'm going to say no. 
the wind is the one variable that is guess part of what you do. Right? right. So as far as to ensure that first round impact, no. What the secret there is shooting off. Um, the best way to learn the wind is to shoot in the wind. So we're pretty fortunate living in Yakima to typically always have wind. So regardless of when I go out, I'll, I will always have a minimum of five mile an hour wind to shoot in. If it's, if it's three to five miles an hour, it's a, it's a good time to practice because the wind's really shifty over here then. Okay. Uh, if it's 10 and above, it's pretty consistent. Gotcha. Okay. So some good pointers for people, you know, that are trying to learn how to, to shoot better in the wind, because I know, you know, once you know the math and the science of your data and your dope and things of that nature, you know, that stuff can mathematically for the most part kind of be figured out, but they always say, you know, wind, you know, that's that, that voodoo science where it it can change, like you said, one second to the next. So it's just a matter uh, of just sending as many, you know, good rounds downrange in windy conditions to get used to it. Well, yeah. I mean, so there's, there's, I, I typically use three different wind theories in, at any given match. Um, if the wind's really constant, I will do my average wind call and hold center at target. That's going to give me a plus either side. Okay. Right. If we're working in a really gusty wind, I'm going to do a, a low value leading edge and hope that forgiveness is in there for that gust. It's going to pick up that you don't catch. Okay. So I mean, there's, so I guess honestly there's, there's two different styles of wind that I'll use depending on the match. If it's, if it's a steady wind, I'm going with the center hole. If it's a gusty wind. I'm going to go with a low to average on the leading edge of the target and let that bleed across the target. But rarely do I go to a match and, know exactly which wind I'm going to use. I'll tell you, the one of the hardest wind to shoot in, no wind. <laughs> I cannot hold my crosshair on the center of a target to save my life. <laughs> why, why is that? Because in eastern Washington, we don't ever get no wind. So when I put a crosshair on the center of a target, I know I'm going to miss on one side of the target. It, it just Honestly, messes with your mind, huh? I can't do it. I cannot do it. People ask me what kind of crosshair I like. If I like them to cross in the intersection or if I like a dot, I say, I really don't care because I only use it at 100 yards. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. That's funny. Okay, so you mentioned something else earlier about having really good solid gear. Um, Obviously, gear is a huge factor in our sport. What gear do you run or do you recommend and, and why do you like that for you? Because it's different for everybody, but why does it work for you? 100%. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in what works for me may or may not work for you, but I know it works for me, so I'm going to run it. Right. Let's start with the rifle because that was when that was when I really, I really started to notice the difference. Um, I... I grew up shooting around Jesse Riddell and Travis Riddell okay. of Arbor's Rifles, and I always wanted to shoot for them, but I didn't want to waste their time. So the day they called me, I was pretty shocked. So teaming up with Arbor's was huge. Um, 
Travis is a probably one of the most knowledgeable Smiths I've ever had the luxury of being around. I can call him, ask him the dumbest of questions, and he'll typically have an answer. Or tell me I'm an idiot and focus on what I need to focus on. Right. So right. Arbrook rifles number one. Number two, actions. We are fortunate enough to shoot in some of the nastiest conditions that most people would not take uh, good-looking rifles out into. So the the day I switched to impact, I watched Richard Dias in, at Phillips match in Wyoming last year. <clears throat> we were squatted up together. At the end of the match, I asked him if I could run his action. Of course, he let me in. I was sold right then. That thing was as smooth at the end of day two as my gun was two stages into day one. So at that point, I knew I was hooked there. Nice. Uh, those trigger tech triggers, man, those guys have got it figured out. I don't know what they do up there, but they need to keep doing it. I have those every rifle I own. Every rifle I own. I've okay. hunted with them. I, funny story, I hunted muzzleloader in Nebraska last year. And uh, <laughs> the rifle was covered in ice because we were hunting in three-degree weather. Everything was wet. Gun was froze solid. I still shot a deer with a, a rifle that was completely frozen. Couldn't even hardly get the bolt open because the ice was frozen so, so tight. Wow. Yeah, it was wild. And then number – MDT, those boys opened up like Pandora's box this year. I don't know what they did, but I was extremely happy that they called me. That new ACC chassis with the ability to tune the weight. They that that's <laughs> that that's been the best biggest improvement this year. Nice. Actually, the end of last year, I shot at the NRL finale last year, and I knew I was I was hooked. Yeah. And then Schmidt and Bender Scopes, buddy. Can't hit what you can't see. This is true. So, yeah. Arbros, Impacts, uh, Trigger Tech Trigger, Schmidt and Bender Scope, MDT Chassis. That's, that is my secret code this year. Nice. Nice. So, one thing you forgot to mention is what caliber are you shooting? It depends. So... If we're shooting a, a match that I assume is going to have a lot of a barricade style work, I'll, I'll run my dasher okay. because here again, recoil. If the gun doesn't move, you get to watch everything. Right. Um, if we're shooting like Nebraska match or Rock Lake or even like JC Steel, I shoot my uh, my six by forty seven. That that extra couple hundred fifty feet per second with the same bullet. I don't know that I need it, but it makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> hey, confidence is a huge part of this game, right? That That is the biggest part of this game. Yes, sir. The The mental side of this sport is, is the game, period. We all have guns that shoot little bitty groups. All of our ES, ESs or SDs are within 25 to 30 feet a second. Yes, sir. Um, all of our scopes work at... All of our rifles are identical. The only thing separating people is uh, uh, confidence level they take into the match. So, 
you know, I talk to different people about confidence. You know, I, my one of my last uh, podcasts was with Kaylin, and we were talking about mindset and so on and so forth. How does that work for you? Because I've seen you like at the top of your game on one stage, and then I've seen you like the next, you know, a couple hours later, and you know you're a little bit flustered, and then I see you again after that, and you're all happy and and ready to rock and roll again. It's, I mean, we've all been on those roller coasters, but how do you manage that? Because I know for me, that's still definitely one of the hardest parts. Uh, how do I manage that? That's a good question. I don't know. I uh, so in all honesty, I, I go to these matches because they're fun. Right, the the people, um, the venues, getting to travel, see different areas of the country. Uh, so at the end of the day, I mean, might I get upset with myself that I made a bonehead move? Absolutely. Do I let it affect my entire weekend? No, absolutely not. You know, it's at the end of the day. Guess what? We also have to go to work on Monday. That's true. the way I look at it. This if, is if you true. can't have fun, if you can't have fun doing something you enjoy. Don't do it. 100% agree with that. But there's got to be something that you do. I, there's got For everybody, there's got to be something. Subconsciously, I mean, you've won national level matches. You know, you've been a top 10 competitor. You've been right there. And, and you've also fallen back at sometimes. Um, but every time I see you, you're always, always so positive and smiles and you know you're the precision hillbilly but you're a big teddy bear you know what i, I mean I that with the, the utmost respect you know what i mean <laughs> uh, here again i mean i'm there to have fun and if i can't have fun doing it i i shouldn't be doing it uh to stay on the to, to bounce back off of a bad stage I think you got to look at why you had a bad stage. Was it something you did that you saw somebody else try you thought was a good idea? Pro tip, if you see somebody else do it and it worked for them, but you've never done it, don't try it in a match. Agree. <laughs> God, I mean, I've been, I've been bit by that one I don't know how many times. Um, so just stick with what you know how to do. And then just if I get sucked into that, hey, that looked like a really good idea. And you try it, and you realize this is a horrible idea, and I probably shouldn't have done that. Um, just go back to what you know how to do. You know, don't don't try and reinvent the wheel in the middle of a match. Nice, that and that's true, absolutely. Because I I've been there, done that. You know, I was hey, Philip Vallejo did that on that one video. I'm going to try that. Yeah. Maybe not the best time. <laughs> Man, it's like, for me, it's not even watching the video that I watched, right? I watched somebody shoot before me, like, oh, that looks like it worked really good. Right. As soon as you do that, you're like, wow, <laughs> this is not working out like I like I planned on it working out. That's, that's, I think that's when I get the most upset with myself is when I do that. I know better than to do that, but yet I still do it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. So... When you're at a match, you know, and you're hanging out with your buddies and you're shooting and whatnot, um, there's always seems to be like, you know, that 
majority of the people that shoot the NRO, you know, they're not clicky. Everybody likes to help each other out and so on and so forth. Um, some people are more generous with, you know, wind calls. Other people aren't. But when you get up there and you're ready to shoot, um, you're ready to uh, uh, approach that stage, you're on deck. Is there anything that goes through your mind? Are you thinking about, you know, what you're going to do, how you're going to run that course of fire since we're talking about watching people before you? Or do you just, you know, have, I forget what they call it, you know, basically your mind goes blank and you go into muscle memory and you just rock. What, how, how does your mindset work? So that's why you ask that. I, I do have uh, a ritual that I follow every single stage. Prior, prior to shooting, so let's assume we've been given a stage brief. We know where the targets are at. We've ranged the targets if we have to or if we want to. Let's assume we're back on the line and we're two to three shooters away from shooting. Okay. At that point, I'm going to peel off. I'm, I'm going off by myself. And what I'm trying to do is memorize where the targets are at in my head. So I, I'm pre-planning every one of my movements, like, right down to what hand I'm grabbing my bag with, if I'm using the bag. Number two is I'm trying to remember my dope so I don't have to look and see what that dope is, right? This is a game of seconds nowadays, right? right. You, don't, you don't get the luxury of making a shot, watching the impact, looking at your card, rebuilding a position. You better be Johnny on the spot on transitions, on dialing your scope. So I'm, I'm pulled back and I'm trying to memorize all these things. So I don't have to do it uh, during the, the shoot time. Now, when I get up to the line and I'm, I'm, I'm on deck and I'm watching the shooter before me shoot, I'm watching to see, like I have my plan, but a lot of times the plans are pretty similar across all the shooters. So I'm trying to see if there's anything goofy about the stage that I didn't foresee. Okay. Right? That's that's it. As soon as I that I come up, they ask me if I understand course fire, shooter ready, time starts now, beep. Now I'm just into autopilot because I've already memorized everything that I have to do, where I'm gonna move, what I'm taking with me, all of it. So it just goes into autopilot. When you can get to that autopilot moment, now is when you are you're you're more relaxed than you were prior to shooting. You're gonna watch trace go to targets better. You're gonna watch impacts better. Everything is easier because you're not thinking about every nuance that's taking place. So that's you you literally create a playbook for every course of fire as you you know once you get your stage brief basically. Every time. That is every crazy. That is crazy. I mean, I'm I'm nowhere near, you know, a top-level shooter. I, I It's not my goal in life. I go for the same reasons you go, which is to have fun and hang out with friends and, and so on and so forth. So I'm that guy that writes, you know, writes your dope down and everything else, and I'm looking at my dope between targets and trying to remember where the targets are, and, you know, while I'm down there and still trying to figure out my position. The fact that you are memorizing everything of what you're going to do beforehand is pretty freaking amazing, bro. I wouldn't call it amazing. I mean, we can all do it. 
heck, I, if I can do it, you can do it, Travis. Yeah, I mean, we can do it, but see, I, I think it's that level of experience that helped you get there versus, you know, I've only been in this sport for half the time you have. True. You know, and I go up there and I still watch that guy before me or remember what I saw in a video or whatever and try that out. So just the, you know, comparing the two different levels, I mean, you're, you know, way up here. I'm still down here trying to figure out what I'm doing, which is what I believe a majority of the people in the sport are still at. I can see that. Right. Because I, I've beaten people that I thought I would never beat. And I've been completely demolished by people that are completely new to the sport that I've never met. I've never seen. And I, I, I know a fair amount of people. And so it always comes back to me as, you know, like, like a good example, Morgan King, you know, <laughs> yeah, that kid came out of nowhere. And he's just dominating, you know, match after match after match. And it's like, okay, what does this guy know or what did he learn in his, you know, career in precision rifle faster and better than what I've learned in the past five years or six years or whatever it's been? That's a good that's a good question. That that that, that's actually would be an interesting question to ask. I mean, there, there's like five guys you could ask that same question to this year. Yeah. Who just showed up and started, like, dominating. It just, it's just crazy because there's so many new people coming into this sport that it's really pushing everybody to become better because that new kid that you saw at one match that, you know, he did okay – and then all of a sudden, he's crushing everybody. I mean, that's happening more and more often. So that, not pressure, but that drive to be better is continuously raising. I think that's human nature, though. You know, anybody who wants it, they can get it. But it's just what level of dedication are they going to have to apply to get to that next level where they're going to feel satisfied Right. Think about that for a second. Well, that, Every, that's true. Everybody has the capability. It's just how much time are they willing to invest to to meet their dreams. And, you know, that's one of the most common things that when I talk to some of the top shooters in the nation, you know, one of the things that you constantly hear is how much they practice. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, you know, I don't have the luxury to be able to practice as much as I would like. Uh, or want to, but I, I think that dry fire practice even is a huge um, necessity if you want to be a contender. 100%. You, you're working on muscle memory. Muscle memory is, here again, that's how you get into that autopilot mode. You aren't just going to magically wake up one day and have all these check boxes checked. Right. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take time. And that's, that's what's up on the individual is knowing how their bodies react to, to training regiments. Some people need to train every day. Some people need to train once a month. It's just 
what does that person need to reach that level? Yeah, it's true. And everyone's different. Yep. Everybody's different. So what works for Jake Vibbert or John Pinch or Nick Ardazzi or Morgan King or Steve Eames might not work for me. Right. In fact, it, it probably doesn't work for me. You know, so I, I think it's up to the individual. Was there was there a lot of things that I didn't get to do last year? Absolutely. I didn't go. I didn't hunt at all last year until like mid-October. This year, I've been hunting already. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as we get off this, this phone call, I'm going hunting tonight. Nice. What are you Absolutely. going for? Bears. Bears. They've eluded, they've eluded me. They've yeah. eluded me, and I'm, I'm not having it this year. So with bear hunting, I, I know people are kind of particular, but do you eat the bear or no? They've eluded me. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. <laughs> no, of course I'm going to eat it. Uh, I've had bear, bear sausage and bear pepperoni. Uh, it's, it's actually pretty good. Let me rephrase that. It's really good. It is. Yep. It is. Some of the Idaho boys brought up a bear hamburger to Jake's match a couple of years ago, and, and we cooked that up, and that was delicious. Oh, it's, the the bear the bear like had some bear breakfast sausage a couple of weeks ago. It was incredible. I, I think that's kind of what lit the fire to get up there this year early and get it done. Nice. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that you get that bear tonight so that I can get some bear sausage in a couple of weeks when I see you in Washington. Done deal. If I get one, it'll be there. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. All right. So we've got a couple more minutes here, a couple of questions. You may or may not want to answer this one, but if you do, kudos to you. If you don't, we'll pass it up. (laughs) <laughs> who do you think is going to take the top five in order of one through five at this year's NRL championship? Who do you got your money on? Dude, that's a tough one. Right? I've been racking my brain trying to predict who I think it's going to be, and there's just so much damn talent out there right now. The talent is incredible this year. So I'm kind of cheating a little bit. I just brought it up on the computer real fast. <laughs> that's fair. Man, top five. So if I'm a numbers person, if I'm a numbers person, I'm going to have to say I'm putting some money on Gardazzi taking taking the first seat because that guy, everywhere he's been going, he's been crushing it. Yep, I can see that. Uh, he's on fire for sure. He's on, he is on huge fire. Number two. I'm trying, I'm trying to speed this up. Let's go with Tater. Really? Tate Streeter. Yeah, man. So it's in oh, it's in Texas this year. Yes, sir. Not essentially Tate's backyard, but he's a lot closer than us. Oklahoma. Oklahoma comparison to Texas is a lot a lot closer than Washington. True. Because my three and four are going to Washington. And I'm gonna say I'm thinking John's gonna pull in front of Jake for third spot. Jake's gonna, Jake's gonna pull into fourth, and then that's where I'm stopping because every name in that top ten could could be that person. <laughs> but okay, so you left out somebody important that we granted we haven't seen him you know in a little while, 
But if Austin Orgain qualifies, which I'm sure he will, he's oh, another Oki that you know that is familiar with Texas as well. That's true. And, and he's already a national take, champion. He is. I'm not trying to take anything from Austin, but looking at the points where they're sitting right now, he's at a 282. Those those four guys I just mentioned are all in the 290s. Yep. So he's gonna have to he's gonna have to do well at another one, which we all know Austin. He can do it. He can do it. He can do it. But yeah, man, top five. Why do you do that to people? That's just what called for. Because it's interesting to see people's perspectives and. You know, Brittany and I, uh, we sit around at night and we, we're like, but this guy did this and he did that and, and this and that. And we kind of, we, we try to figure it out and we always, you know, we're always clashing and colliding with who we think. So it's interesting to get other people's perspectives. Uh, you the looking cool at it. That, the dynamic of it. Dude, there's, it could be anybody. It can. And that's what's, that's what's so awesome about it is. You, anybody in that top 10 could get there. You know, anybody in the top 10 could could get there. If you're playing numbers, there's a couple guys that probably couldn't. But <laughs> why would you why would you ask somebody to pick the top five? Because it's fun. Because <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> no, that's. It's amazing to see what the sport has turned into. Uh, being, being what, like I said, I shot my first match with 15 people 10 years ago, I think. And to see what we're, what it does now, it's, it makes you feel pretty, pretty proud to be a part of it. It does. Yes, sir. So with that statement, where do you see the sport five years from now? Where do I see the sport five years from now? Yeah, top five, five years from now. Come on. Top five? No, well, we already talked about who our top five oh, picks are five. going for this championship, right? So what's going to happen in the next five years? Where do you see the sport? That's going to be interesting. This question could go either way. I I really don't know what it'll do in the next five years. I mean, we're seeing huge, huge numbers of people at matches. But at the same time, you're seeing the, the, the cost drive up substantially, substantially to the point that uh, I personally feel it's probably shutting quite a few of the, the newer shooters, at the up-and-comers. So, that hold on. Think. When you say that the price is getting – are we talking about – the cost to attend a match or the cost of equipment? I'm talking all costs incurred. Okay. Um, and l let's assume everybody has that rifle that we've talked about, right? That right. shoots well. Um, a, a travel match. If you if you could do a travel match on your own, that's fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. Right. That's a that's a rather substantial investment for for a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. You know so. I I don't know where I see it in five years. I hopefully it's still growing like it is because it's showing tremendous growth. Yeah, know? it's it's the fastest growing I think firearm sport right now. We gotta figure out how to get it on TV, Travis. <laughs> well, I've been working on that one for a while. I, I don't I don't have 
quite the right answer yet, but we're still working on it. Get it on TV and make it a, make it a, shoot, my wife watches like The Bachelorette and stuff like that. And God, if you could get that, get people like that to watch it, then growth would be like NASCAR. NASCAR would be taking a back burner to Precision Rifle stuff. Yeah, but then Brittany would kill me because I'd never be home. I don't know how you're home right now. <laughs> Dude. Believe it or not, this is the first time since the end of last season that I've been home for more than two weeks at a time. I I was just going to say, <clears throat> I remember going back-to-back national matches, and you were in both of them. Yep. <laughs> and they, I flew to them. And I drive to them all. <laughs> you drive to all of them. Out of, that's crazy. Crazy. But in all honesty, I love seeing what you guys have done to the sport, you know? Well, thank you. Don't mind me. I just poured myself a whiskey. I'm jealous, man. I'm jealous. All right. We're going to get it wrapped up here. The next question is not five. It's three. And it's the same question I love asking all of the guests on my show. And that is, what are your top three superstitions, traditions, whatever it is, that you have to do or have at a match that is not standard gear related. Number one, where is the nearest steakhouse? <laughs> Very good point. Period. You have to find the steakhouse, man. That's first and foremost. Rule number one, can't go to a national level match and not have a, a a perfect steak the night before. Just can't do it. Yep. Right. I agree with that. Number two. Like, are we talking year? No, it could be anything. All right. So the one piece of gear that I... Not I, standard I, I gear. Be... You can't say your scope or Kestrel because that's standard. No, no, no. No, it's <laughs> not attached to my rifle. Yeah. Is my... Little pint size game changer from Armageddon. That's gear, bro. Dude, that's that's the way it is, though. No, that's gear. We want to know like the personal stuff. Everybody personal. has a bag. Man, let's see. I gotta have a steak. We gotta have good whiskey. All right. See, that's number two. Good that's whiskey. Two. Gotta have good good bourbon. Okay. What's um, your favorite bourbon? Right now, my favorite bourbon is this company called Jefferson's and it is called Ocean Aged at the Sea. Interesting. I've never heard of it. Yeah, so they they age this bourbon in barrels out at the ocean so it's constantly moving. It's huh. got a rather rather interesting flavor profile. I'll uh, bring one to, I'll bring one to Rock Lake. Perfect. That's awesome. Yep. Bear and bourbon. This is going to be an awesome this weekend. Sound like a good weekend. Yeah. Okay, and then number three. What's my number three? Kodiak. Kodiak chew. <laughs> yep. I cannot shoot without a dip in. All right. So I don't dip. I never have. I I, I don't want to. But I've seen guys smoke a cigarette or a cigar while shooting. Do you chew 
while you shoot or do you like spit that out before you you approach the line no i'll put a freshie in right before i start shooting really oh yeah that before i walk up for that on deck thing right man there's a fresh there's a fresh kodiak in every time interesting all right yep. all right very cool so that don't, wraps up don't start if you're an up-and-comer youngster don't start chewing though it's a pain yeah, we we don't uh, we don't endorse smoking no. or chewing or any or, or drinking or any of that adult stuff. Man, you you called the hillbilly though. Remember this. Oh, brother, man, I always love hanging out with you and seeing you at the matches. It's always a good time. Us, uh, man, that's I, I I enjoy seeing everybody. You and Brittany are awesome. Uh, the dedication you guys have put into the sport is incredible. Well, thank you. Thank you. But it, it shows it shows in your in your results though too. You know, all all we can try to do is is provide you guys the best possible, you know, product, venue, course of fire experience that we can. And and we're just lucky enough to to be blessed to have a great team on the NRL side and uh great members like yourself and awesome sponsors. So you know, as much as you're thanking me, I'm thanking you because without you guys, we have no audience. Mm-hmm. Valid point. So, valid point. Yes, sir. So, we're about at that time, and I want you to get out there and get that bear. So, I have some bear sausage to try out in Washington. I wish you the best of luck out there uh, tonight, and I wish you the best at your matches. I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks, and I appreciate your time today, bro. Travis, thanks for giving me a call, buddy. Thank you, sir. For all of our listeners, thank you for listening to our show today. Until next time, be safe, keep shooting, and we'll see you guys at the range. Take care.